0: Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. I am a female leader in the professional sports industry, and my front office resume includes titles like general manager, vice president of corporate partnerships, and director of sales. Did you know that less than 25% of leadership roles in the sports and entertainment industry are held by women? We've got work to do. Why? Because companies with gender and or culturally diverse executive teams were 21% to 35% more likely to outperform the competition. Simply put, diverse leadership helps your bottom line. The Leadership is Female podcast is here to help. Marian Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. So I am here as your host to create visibility by interviewing successful women who work in sports to uncover opportunities and teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. I believe there's enough room at the table for all of us. Take your seat and join me week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Hey leaders, let me be blunt. Sometimes in order to level up, you've got to get a new job because of this awesome community we have created here for engaged sports professionals and leaders in adjacent industries. Opportunities are floating to this community. Do you want to hear about them? I want to share these new opportunities with you. Recently, I've included listings of available jobs in our newsletter and will continue to do so. If you aren't on that newsletter list, you can add your email at leadershipisfemale.com. And if you are hiring, email me at my personal email, emilyjansen at gmail.com, so that I can share your open role. If we want to continue to add diverse, talented leaders to our businesses, we have to look for new ways to recruit this diverse talent. 80% of our listeners on the Leadership is Female podcast are women. Find your next great hire here. Let's go. Featured on Fox, CBS, ESPN, Yahoo Sports and more, Odessa OJ Jenkins was named one of the most influential and powerful women in sports by Sports Illustrated. After learning to play football against boys from a very young age, she made it her mission to create opportunities for women where none existed, like co-founding the Women's National Football Conference. No stranger to gender and racial bias, OJ is a Black LGBT leader who is also the president of an enterprise software company with the goal of taking on workplace inequities through more effective diversity, equity and inclusion, or as we know it, DEI programs. OJ is the winningest coach of female football in football history and also owns the Dallas Elite Football Team of the Women's National Football Conference. I can tell you that in my conversation with OJ, one word came through strong, and that word is relentless. Listen in as we discuss high-performing teams, how to get to your why, how to lead your team with love, but still hold them accountable, taking on DEI and inequities in the workplace, and how to turn a loss into a win. This is a must-listen episode. Big thanks to OJ for speaking with us today on Leadership is Female. Let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Odessa Jenkins, the president of M-Train. She is an executive leader in sports and technology. She's nationally recognized. She is the winningest football coach um, in in history for women, and she is a powerful woman in sports. OJ, welcome to the
1: podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: You got, we were talking before we hit record here, and I was just saying, you've got so many titles, you wear so many hats, you've done so many things. I uh, was totally gonna fumble your introduction because I just didn't even know where to start um, because you've done so many amazing things. And one of those things is you founded the Women's National Football Conference. You've got great leadership in sports community, but for those who are not familiar, Tell us about the Women's National Football Conference and your experience there.
1: Sure. Um, The Women's National Football Conference is is uh, for all intents and purposes. It's the highest level of women's tackle football um, in the country. Uh, It is a organization uh, full of women who are playing a sport that that many say that they shouldn't be playing at the very highest level. Um, More importantly, it's a group of people, both women and men, um, who believe of recreating and helping the world to reimagine uh, what sports is all about and what it looks like and who plays it and in particularly America's sport uh, football. So it's a sports league, it's an apparel company, it's an entertainment company, but at its heart, um, we're a bunch of activists uh, playing America's game at the highest level and hopefully changing the way the world um, and little girls and boys see themselves in it. And what have been some of
0: your greatest experiences working in that industry and changing the opinion around women's tackle football?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know that I've changed all the opinions quite yet. Um, It's so funny. We have have a, a post on our WNFC Facebook right now that's going viral. It's almost at a million views and it's just wild. And You know, I probably would have answered that question a little differently uh, had I not seen all the comments. Never go to the comment section, by the way. Um, But my experience, frankly, has been very positive. I uh, don't really take no for an answer. When I want someone to see something, I stay until they see it. And I think the one thing in being in the sports industry and focusing on women, in football, because I think there's this advancement. There's this um, natural, um, when, when we say we want to have progress in sports with women, everyone always thinks about, well, we want to have progress in sports with women, coaching men, getting involved with men, you know, driving men, propelling men. And I think that this is unique because it is a full contact sport where we are driving, propelling, uplifting women. And it's a different conversation than I have with sponsors, with fans, with partners. But it has been a beautiful ride to kind of open up the eyes of people who didn't even know that women played football to kind of, again, see see women differently, um, and frankly, see what advancing women in sport truly looks like. Why is this so important to you? I believe that people should do what they want. I believe that there should be an opportunity for anyone um, to be anything they want to be. And that might seem cheesy, um, but... I just don't think it's a dream that we should all have. I think those of us who are capable of creating opportunities that make one girl thinks that she can be something else or reimagine what's possible in her brain, those of us who can create those opportunities should. And I can, so I do. Beautifully stated. And you
0: were named one of the most influential and powerful women in sports by Sports Illustrated. That's quite a title. How did you achieve this recognition and what did it feel like to be recognized in this manner? And then furthermore, how do you use that title today?
1: Um, It's still today, um, you know, if I never recognized again, uh, that was a major sort of shifting point, I think for women's tackle football, frankly, um, and for me personally. And I think it's just through the work of being relentless. I mean, because the, the the issue was called relentless. And I think that if it got nothing right, I don't know about being one of the most influential or powerful, but I am absolutely relentless towards advancing women and girls in football. And I think that they got that right. If they got nothing else, um, again, I don't know that I that, 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 that being on those lists um, is a science, but I know they got it right in that I am absolutely relentless and will continue to. And how do I use it? I mean, Sports Illustrated is like a, a dream entertainment publication. If you are at all a sports fan or even know about sports, Uh, Being recognized by such a prestigious um, entity kind of changed the way that I think people looked at and continue to look at me and this sport that that I want to propel. So what has been your biggest win on the field? Oh, the biggest win on the field. It's always the last one. <laughs> so we just won a national championship. Uh, my, my team, uh, I'm, I own the team here in Texas, the Texas Elite Spartans, and they won three national championships uh, back to back to back. So to me, the best win is always the last one, um, the latest one. Um, and I think that was a big one just because it was one of the most highly attended national championships I've ever seen. There were thousands of people in the middle of a pandemic, who flew out to watch and pay for uh, women's tackle football here in the, in the city of Frisco and in Denton, Texas. And um, that was a big win on the field, not just because we beat the other team, but it was a big win for all, the, all of women's football and all the teams in the Women's National Football Conference because the media showed up, um, NFL alumni showed up, um, the, the fans showed up. And I think that that was a great sign, uh, an on-the-field win that said, we have a product that people will show up for.
0: Well, OK, three times. Did you guys hear that? Three-time champs is OJ's team, um, and the people will show up. I think that's been the dialogue in women's tackle football and in women's sports over the last, I would say, really 18 months, we've been shouting from the rooftops, the numbers are the proof. Women or people will show up for women's sports.
1: People will show up, people will watch it. And frankly, even if they don't show up, if they watch and don't show up, if they show up and don't watch, it's time for uh, women to be afforded the same opportunity that men have. I was watching the Mohawk contest on ESPN2 the other day. Like nobody's in the stands for the Mohawk contest yet. You ping pong or bowling or all of these things um, that 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 are that predominantly show men doing them that you don't have to prove that you can get a crowd around. It's just interesting enough for you to show on national TV. And mm-hmm. I think women's football and frankly, women in indie industry need to be paid, um, accommodated and chances need to be taken on their potential not just their achievements, the way that they have for men for so many years.
0: I hear you on that. And I'm curious, what's your most memorable moment in football? Sports is is about those moments. It's about creating those memories. And so is there one that you can pinpoint that sticks in your mind
1: as the most memorable? Yeah, I probably have two. Um, as, as a coach, um, you know, I, you talked about, I do a lot of things. I try to use my time, I try to use all my gifts as my mom used to say. Um, And coaching is a passion for me. It's, It's my safe space being on the field is where I get my you know my superhero if I were like in one of those video games and and you you chomp up your energy that's where I get my energy to continue to fight you know fight the fight and so I think on the field it probably was my first national championship I ever won and you know that was that was one where I had lost a couple prior to that and You know, my team carried me off the field. It was the whole thing, right? It was the whole moment um, that every coach, I think, wishes for when you win it all. And then off the field, um, it probably was sitting in an NFL locker room when I I had a conversation with a very prominent um, NFL running back who was in, like, contract negotiations at the time, and we had gotten a great relationship, and um, that conversation spearheaded me deciding that I was going to stand up the Women's National Football Conference and then I was going to fight and use all of my skills towards women in football and not pursue the career that I think everyone thought was my natural progression which was go eventually try to be a head coach in the NFL um, and which I thought was a dream for me but ultimately I um, that conversation helped me realize you know what Um, women need you and they need you in women's football. And so put all your energy and your time and your effort there and see what happens.
0: That theme of relentlessness just continues to surface as as we discover more about your career, your passion and and what drives you. And today among all the things you do in sports and all the things you do in football, you're also president of M-Train, a technology company and you earn this position in part because you have an art for developing high-performing teams. See these synergies here between football and and, and business. What's the secret to developing a high-performing team?
1: Yeah, I think that there, you know, it actually isn't a secret. It's, it's, It's your willingness to be consistent with people. I think teams, not just teams, individuals, Um, They value honesty and transparency. They value expectation setting. Um, They value empathy. They value whether or not you care about them, right? You have to consistently show that you care. I like to call it gas, give a bleep. Um, So, you know, leaders that don't show or don't have the ability to demonstrate that they care, Um, can't truly get to the fabric of your why. And I think that that's a huge thing. And then uh, I think the other thing is just that um, that consistency that I told you about, consistent leadership is very, very hard to find, whether we're winning, we're losing, whether we're high or we're low. um, Managing a team towards a win is all about you consistently driving your message, consistently doing what you said you were going to do. Um, and that, that always comes. And the other thing is the same as I told you before, being relentless. I think that um, whatever you're leading, however you're leading, whether it be in business or in sport, um, people value a relentless leader, someone who's never going to give up on the team or the cause. And that is so true in business where it's really hard to be the one setting the direction. It's really the one, it's really hard to be the one who's listening and applying the strategy. And I think that that rel- that, that, that that willingness of a leader to set a direction and stay in the direction and keep everyone on the path is something that I think is really hard to do.
0: Those are amazing points right there. And you are a passionate leader who cares about the people. and your answer was so spot on with leadership is about the people. So how do you lead with love, but still hold your team accountable? That can be a delicate balance for leaders.
1: It it can. and, And this is kind of what I say is, how do I show you I care about you if I'm not focusing you on the direction I want us to go? Like to me, that's a part of love. It's just the way the same way you love your family, right? If I'm leading my family or I'm partnering and leading my family, if we are directionless, it's it's really not going to feel like love. Um, It's really not going to feel like you care if if we are directionless. And I think it's the same way in business. I think. Me setting expectations with the team, with an individual, is part of being empathetic. It's part of caring. Um, Where you kind of get in a gray area is when you don't meet that expectation, how do I handle you? How do I show up when you are not doing what the business needs you to do? And that goes back to the success, success factors that I told you about. How am I communicating with you? How am I showing empathy? How did I set the expectation in the first place? It, it, and it can go as well as to how we separate, right? Because every partnership doesn't work out. Everyone that you want to be on your team can't be there. So. Do we start the same way we finished? If this is the end of our partnership in business, am I treating you the same way that I did when we started? Those things matter. And showing love doesn't always mean that we're going to be on the same team, but I can always be the same leader to you.
0: Again, that theme of consistency,
1: always being the same leader. Those are
0: amazing points. I think people can get tripped up on how do you deliver bad news right, but if you're practicing consistency if you're clear in your expectation setting well it's just having a conversation about the, the pieces that we all agreed upon in the first place.
1: It is. And and contrary to what something like people don't really need surprises to be successful. And so the more that I can feed my team or feed that person that I'm trying to inspire to do a job with expectations with where we want to go. Like, really, I see that as my job. I am not doing my job if I'm not feeding you with the direction. Why am I the leader? If I can't take what you are giving to me and we can't devise a plan together and I can't hold you accountable to that plan, what am I here for?
0: Such an interesting thing you said there. People don't need surprises to be successful. I think oftentimes in leadership roles or you know, when you're working for your boss, you think your moments to really shine are when something goes wrong and you handle that well, and the team succeeds in the end. But to your point, people don't need surprises to be successful. You could find your wins and your success by sticking to
1: the plan and executing the way that was set forth. There is nothing like um, you know, putting the right things in place. So we have a plan as a team, or I set an expectation for you as a business leader and you decide how we're going to get to that success and you do all the steps and things go wrong all the time, right? You can go left or you can go right, but ultimately you stick to that plan and that plan was solid and it works out. That's exactly the way we want it to be. No one wants to have to guess how we're going to get there. You do have to do that in business. And that's where great communication and, and, and enabling people and empowering people um, is, is big. I'm big on empowering folks. I think that the worst thing that you can do as a leader is to micromanage great talent, right? I want you to, 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 to challenge me Um, I want you to tell me how you're going to get it done. I don't need to tell you how you're going to get it done. I just need to tell you what the destination is. Why? You know, I, I hire leaders who can tell me I can set an expectation and they can tell me, all right, here's the best way I know how to get there. All right, let's wrap about that. That's good leadership to me.
0: I love that. Don't micromanage great talent. It's why you put that person in that place in the first place, right?
1: The hardest thing that I can do, and this is uh, I'm probably giving away some secrets to leadership here, um, because everybody thinks that they are these big, strategic, smart, hey, the CEO, you must be, the best thing that I can do as the business leader is hire the best leaders. Mm-hmm. Period.
0: Throughout this season of Leadership as Female, I've talked with several founders of the Pro Sports Assembly. I'm glad to become a founder, too, and invite you to join us at prosportsassembly.com. We are the association for people who work in professional sports. Our core purpose is the advancement of diverse and inclusive leadership. From finance to innovation, operations and sales to social responsibility, marketing, human resources, and analytics, the assembly aims to ensure pro sports has a diverse and talented pipeline to lead these efforts and more. Visit prosportsassembly.com to learn more. You guys, we have a new website, leadershipisfemale.com. Please visit us and know that we are here to help get you to the top faster. Are you a career female looking for an edge? Are you looking for answers on how you can level up? Our purpose is to bring interviews with female leaders in sports each week through this podcast, Leadership is Female, so you can uncover opportunities, hear tips to elevate your career, learn from our mistakes and successes so that you can get to the top faster. We're giving you all the advice we know now that we wish we knew then. We're extending a hand back to lead you forward. Let's go. Visit leadershipisfemale.com, join our newsletter, check out all the episodes of the podcast, and stay tuned for more resources to lead you forward. Leadershipisfemale.com. Hire the best leaders. I think I put like a period after every one of those words. Hire the <laughs> best leaders.
1: You want to be successful. You want to keep growing in your career. Focus on who you hire, who you recruit, and how to retain them.
0: So speaking of hiring, you take on workplace inequities through DEI initiatives. Before we can do the work, we have to identify and break down those inequities. Where does a leader start this work?
1: I think you start the work first in trying to understand what outcomes you want to have in your business. I think the first, the first part of getting to equity, getting to a culture of inclusion, a culture that's void as much of it as it can be of harassment is to finding out where you are first. Like, hey. Where are we? What are our listening mechanisms? What policies do we have in place to truly understand how we're doing with these things? And then what are our desired outcomes? We can say that everybody wants to get to the same place, but that might might not be true. So I think it's really, really important that the leadership of a company comes together and say, okay, what are we truly targeting? Are we targeting inclusion? Are we targeting minimizing risk? Are we, t- get to what your target is and then find out what the processes, tools, people and dollars are that you're putting around it to solve for it.
0: Processes, tools, people and dollars. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the dollar piece is one that's stuck out to me big time in the work and the research I've done on DE&I. The research shows that more diverse teams equals a greater profit for a company. And oftentimes that's, that's how you can move it forward. And your first step is by identifying the
1: impact on the business. Has that been the same for you? It has, but the, the, the ROI on diversity and inclusion has been proven over and mm-hmm. over and over again. But we're still Even having in the conversation. The Fortune, the Fortune yeah. 1000, and we looked at which were the most diverse, and we used the most basic uh, identification and definition of diversity, whether it be race or gender. And across the board, you see those at least publicly traded companies performing better, which we always extrapolate to private companies, smaller companies as well. They do better. It's established. I think what isn't established is how, right? And and what when when you know that there is a return on the investment, but you don't know how, you don't know where to start, you don't know what to do, you ignore it. That's that's just what happens with leaders. If if there is a there is a standard for retention, there's a standard there's a standard for uh, cost of customer acquisition. There are standards for churn. There are standards for other financial metrics. What we're working to do at M Train is to set a standard for how to measure, monitor, assess, teach, upskill certain things, so that you get to inclusion as a skill right? If I want to build allyship, what skill sets do I have in the business? If I want to impact in-group out-group dynamics and that that causes harassment issues, well, what skill set am I training my leaders to have, right? Are you even cognizant that your title carries a certain fear with it when you speak to employees? So all of those things are, it's like, the how I think is what's missing, and then the desire, right? Because if I am doing well, and nobody cares um, about whether or not I'm diverse, then, then then, I'm not motivated. We are in a world now where you have to be motivated because at least you know, we just saw the US Census come out. The world is changing. The US is physically changing and getting more diverse. Every part of your business is now impacted at least by racial and gender diversity. So you have no cho- businesses have no choice. Um, now, uh, the consumer is changing, uh, the, your employee base is changing, your leadership is changing. So those all equate to, we're no longer having to prove uh, the, the, the uh, return on this investment. It's like, how do I go and do it now? Yeah,
0: you hope, you certainly hope not that that's not where the conversation is still starting, but the how is, is the point right? Okay, we've identified this. Now, how do we move forward? And you've outlined a lot of really good ways to take an assessment of yourself and and of the company and um, set those goals in the direction for where you want to be in your business.
1: It's very similar to how you assess any other business need, right? And, And, you know, if inclusion, because Inclusion is just like any other thing that comes in, impacts your business and changes it. It's it's like if you wanna add another feature to a product, you have to think about how that feature. Then makes the product different and how do you handle those differences, what part of the product does that touch that you didn't anticipate you try and anticipate that with quality with QA with testing and those kind of things. You do the same with financial metrics right, we know that if we're going to increase one part of the business, then we increase risk potentially to another. Inclusion is the same way as your business changes and if you have a growing business it's going to change. So as you bring on new people, as you bring on new partners, as more people hopefully consume your products, you are going to have to have a way to handle inclusion. Um, and I think it's controversial in some ways to say handle inclusion, but that's the truth. Diversity is a, is, a, is going to happen, um, but it is what do you do once you have diversity? Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You got to get the people in the company and then what's next? How exactly. do you make sure that your employees are successful? And putting those things in place in order to make sure that we're successful in the long term as people
1: yes, and as a business. If you aren't training them to be so, then you are missing the mark, right? You are missing an opportunity, if you aren't training them to have those skills, to be able to work through conflicts that happen when different people get together, then there's no surprise that you're going to have issues in your business because you're not doing anything to prevent it.
0: Yeah. And uh, along the leadership pathway, you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. And you say that you can turn a loss into a win. How do you do that?
1: I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all about knowing that there's always a lesson in every loss, right? Whether it be a business loss, uh, if you're an athlete, if you're a coach, if you're a parent, there is always a lesson in every loss. And if you approach wins and losses that way, you you will always be better as a result of the thing. And my philosophy in life is to just get 1% better. And that's how I turn um, losses into wins. If I got better, I won. Whether or not it showed in the, in the balance sheet or on the scoreboard, I know the next time I get that opportunity, it's gonna be a different outcome because I learned from
0: it. Yeah, uh, it's an incredible perspective. And you said there, get 1% better. If you have a mindset of constant improvement, it doesn't have to be, OJ didn't say 100% better. She said 1%. You don't have to set this, this daily measuring stick to something that you can't, that's, that you can't live up to or that um, is going to set you up for failure. Getting 1% better is huge. That is a huge increment over time, uh, but something that feels like you can wrap your mind around.
1: Yeah, and we forget that the we're such a small part of this massive world, but yet we're all a part of it. Mm-hmm. And so we all thought of it that way, like, yeah, I wanna make a, a huge impact on the world. I want as many people as possible to be positively impacted by the things that I'm involved in, for sure. But if just one person is, then the people that they interact with are gonna have a different experience in the world. And that's how I say, it's mindset. Mindset, 100%. And
0: it's a a perfect segue into this next question I had for you about leading with your why. And it's a part of a personal foundation of leadership. So I've got two parts to this question. How do we identify and articulate our why? And second, how is that why tied to our future success?
1: Sure. Um, So getting to your why is easy this is how I do it. This is an exercise. You might want to do this. Okay. So just think about um, if you have all the resources you need financially, right? So money's not an issue. So you can solve all of your um, natural problems, right? Um, All of those things that are innate, you can solve. What is the first thing that you do because you want to do? Like, what is the thing, the first thing you do because you want to do it? What is the thing you do every day because you want to do it? And some of that is family, some of it is faith, some of it is purpose. Um, And then I just start subtracting from there. So I think about, I get all that list. Like, okay, here are the things I would do every day. Here's the things I would do every month. Here are the things I could do every week. I take that list and I prioritize it. And that's how I continue to keep myself aligned with what my passion and what my purpose is. Because I know how I want to impact the world, um, but it gets muddied by the stuff I have to do. So I do the stuff I have to do so that I can do what I want to do, but I never lose sight of what I want to do because what I want to do is my why. And that tying to your
0: future success, you sort of outline that right, right there, that what you, what you have to do and what you want to do are sort of innately tied together and it sort of fuels this engine
1: yeah and 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 we aren't all lucky enough to 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 get rich right or or to not have to work or to not have to worry about finances most of us will never be in that circumstance but what circumstance most of us will be in is having both of those options and we forget that we do and how you really live out that why is You do what you have to do so that you can do what you want to do. Why else are you doing the haves if you never get to the wants, right? And I think as women in particular, we focus so much on the have to do because society sets so much of our haves. You have to wear this. You have to look this way. You have to work here. You have to be this kind of woman. You have to present yourself this way. Sound this way. Use this octave in your voice. There's just like so much that the world, our families, our cultures tell us as women are our haves to do's that we don't learn how to make sense of what we want to do. And so I think that that's how consistently focusing on your your why gets you to your ultimate success because I feel like frankly people are successful when they're doing what they want to do.
0: Yeah, it's way easier
1: to put in the energy you want to do it versus making yourself it really is and you try to eliminate the things like if you ask any really really wealthy um well-balanced person and i don't know there's a lot of those but yeah. if you ask someone who doesn't have to worry about that kind of stuff they consistently say all that all the all that wealth did was enable me to do what i want to do mm-hmm. you know it's like why would somebody who's extremely wealthy go have seven different companies or be the leader of multiple different entities they don't have to do that like their work is done but really it's just getting started because all that did was enable them to do what they wanted to do in life and i think that's that's to me what getting to you why does yeah
0: i love that it's an awesome mindset uh exercise that you outlined there and definitely encourage everyone to put pen to paper it's incredible what can flow out of that pen if you challenge yourself and ask the tough questions and really allow yourself the space to answer them.
1: Once you do answer them, I always tell people, uh, you know, th- there's an exercise that I have employees do when they're really trying to go through, because I believe in forcing people to figure out their why and making sure they're making time for it. Um, it, is to chart out budget your time like you budget your dollars and start budgeting your time every week and, and, and find why time right? So you have 168 hours. Um, If you are not finding why in your budget pie, and you're saying, man, I'm spending 100 hours on work, and then I'm sleeping 40 hours, and then I'm eating 20 hours, and I have another, and I'm not doing the math, but it's like, hey, I got another 30 hours. What am I doing with those 30 hours? Am I doing what someone else wants me to do, or I'm doing what I want to do? And I think if you start budgeting out Y time, you'll see that Y time grow as you do that exercise.
0: OJ, I think you might have that trademarked already. Budget your Y time.
1: Yeah, I'm putting it in the book. Nobody steal it. It's
0: it's already audio record here. OJ said first. All right. This is recorded. Yeah, we are good to go. Okay, well, it's uh, come time for the final four questions. Okay. And the first one, you've given us so much incredible advice on leadership, and this has been an inspiring conversation, but what is your best piece of advice for women today so that they can level up tomorrow?
1: Um, I think my best piece of advice for women today is to, um, you know, do what you want. Don't let fear stop you from doing what you want or trying what you want. And when I say that, I mean it very specifically. You don't have to always be qualified. You don't have to always have all the steps. Go for what you want and it's okay to skip steps.
0: What is your favorite place to travel?
1: Miami. Miami. Miami, I love Miami. I love (laughs) i love south beach south beach is one of my favorite places to be
0: yeah do you have a favorite restaurant there
1: um no no oh yeah there's a crab spot there um i can't remember what it is though but yeah i do i do i just can't remember my wife would kill me um because we eat we eat there every time i go but i can't remember the name of it
0: amazing food yes beach awesome and experiences like
1: um, there's lobster there's a lobster roll spot on south beach that if you just look if you just google lobster rolls uh you'll find it but it's uh it's one of it's some of the it is shocking but it's some of the best lobster rolls you're gonna ever have in your
0: life yum okay what is your pump up or walk up music
1: Uh, um it's so funny i listen to a lot of like slow jams uh, i have this in common with a team, teammate slow jams and gospel music like i just i mix them too i like to get in my feelings um when i walk <laughs> up so i like to tap into that emotional part of myself so i'm usually listening to some old school r&b or some gospel music nice mm-hmm. I don't
0: know what i would have picked but Maybe that for you. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really like a are Yeah,
1: now that you're saying it, I see it. I see that vibe. I, I, I like, I, I can vibe, you know, I can, I love all kinds of music. I can vibe with hip hop and pop and whatever. But when I really need to get into the mode, I wanna, I wanna get in my feelings. I wanna get all the way deep. Awesome. Okay, last
0: question and my favorite one. What is your favorite quote?
1: Oh, I'm a coach I have so many favorite quotes but probably Serena Williams I'm lucky that whatever I fear I have inside of me my desire to win is always stronger so yeah yeah I think that that yeah I'm lucky that whatever fear I have inside of me my desire to win is always stronger I think that that's probably my favorite one right now uh one because it's Serena and I um yeah, I think she's the GOAT, greatest of all time. Um, but to the concepts of of fear and desire and desire over fear is uh, is something that I really keyed into in my life right now.
0: Well said and well said from a coach. You, yep. you are a coach, you're so inspiring. You're a leader in business. You're a leader um, on the field with the Women's National Football Conference. I cannot thank you enough for this conversation. And I know that it is going to continue to serve the leadership as female audience for years to come. So OJ was a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. With
0: that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, use all your gifts. Number two, discover what gives you energy. Number three, Setting appropriate expectations and following through on those expectations with your team is part of being empathetic and caring as a leader. Number four, people don't need surprises to be successful. Thank you for listening to the Leadership is Female podcast. It means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with this podcast today. If you like this episode, subscribe, share, and review. What can you do today to lead her forward? We will do our part to lead her forward because leadership is female. Thank you for joining us. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedis and distributed by Anchor FM.